Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 221 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So uh, I think for the third or fourth week in a row, uh, Nick Whitaker, our Director of Research and Trading, uh, back on the show. So welcome back, Nick. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you. <laughs> I was saying it's, uh, it's nice to have a, a good run of the team. Yeah. So um, as always, we will review uh, quickly the month to date and year to date performance numbers, the major market indices that we track. Uh, This data is from YCharts and as of October 5th. Uh, 2023. S&P 500 index is down 0.7% during the month of October, uh, but up 10.9% on the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.2% on the month and down actually 0.1% on the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index is flat for the month and up 26% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap uh, index is down 3% for the month and down 1.7% for the year. And the All World X United States ETF down 1.7% for the month and up 1.7% for the year. The three month Treasury rate sitting at 5.61%, the two year Treasury rate at 5.03%, and the 10 year Treasury rate at 4.72%. Um, so Nick, kind of uh, the weakness that we've seen the past two months has kind of carried over into the beginning of October. Um, it's actually interesting, like the S&P 500 is one of the, the very few uh, indices that are kind of like still doing well or hanging in there in terms of performance for the year, up 10.9%. But the average stock is uh, pretty much like break even or even negative right now, which is is very interesting. You got the Dow that's in negative territory for the year, uh, several under in other industries that are in negative territory for the year. So I think it just speaks to the market cap weightedness of the S&P 500 with, you know, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, NVIDIA all still relatively strong this year, kind of carrying that index higher. And same story for the NASDAQ too, right? On the year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, other than that, big headlines, current events from the week, uh, the government shutdown was averted until November 17th. So uh, people in Congress apparently just kicking the can down the road. Uh, we're going to have the same issue on the 17th of next month. So that'll be interesting to see if uh, a longer term spending package that gets agreed upon or if it's going to be another short term bill or the government shuts down. So uh, TBD on that topic. Uh, another thing, Nick, I'm sure you saw that uh, House Speaker McCarthy was ousted uh, from his uh, post, and I believe that's the first time in history that that has happened. Um, you know, we've been getting a couple of questions, you know, what is what is that? impact on the markets and it's really a nothing burger in my opinion from the markets it's kind of just uh, you know clickbait headlines um, we all know that congress is uh 
for lack of a better term, uh, quite a clown show, I think, on both ends of the aisle. So uh, this isn't surprising to me. But when it has to do with the stock market, it's really a, a nothing burger, like I said. Yeah. Um, the other, only other thing I wanted to note, which we just talked about, Nick, is the continued market weakness uh, coming into this month in the first, you know, five trading days of this month. Um, but we do know that, you know, October tends to be a month where markets bottom. It tends to be the start of this so-called Santa Claus rally and this run up into the end of Q4. So um, all the data that we have uh suggests that we're going to receive that at some point. It just might take a little longer than, uh, you know, expected. And that kind of leads me right into uh, one of my first items of research that I had for listeners this week, Nick. It was a chart uh, presented by All Star Charts, and it shows a presidential cycle seasonality. So it kind of breaks up the chart into four separate periods. So, um, you know, the, the first year, or what they call the post-election cycle. The second year, what they refer to as the midterm cycle. The third year, or the pre-election cycle, which is the year that we're in right now. And then year four, which is the election cycle. And mm -hmm. Jenna will throw this up for our YouTube viewers, and this will be in our show notes. But um, this is a really good uh, chart that kind of outlines the weakness that we're experiencing right now really isn't that uncommon. But the funny part about it is, you know, once we get into the election year, markets tend to usually resume their uptrend. Now, am I saying that that is exactly what's going to happen? No, absolutely not. But, uh, you know, going back and using history as our guide, like we always do, uh, election years, regardless of who the president is, uh, tends to be pretty strong. So, uh, again, markets are somewhat oversold on a short-term basis to a certain expense, ex extent, excuse me. So I would kind of expect to see uh, strength in the market over the next couple of weeks here. And, you know, another piece of research that I just wanted to add to this, Nick, to kind of back up my thoughts on why I think the market is going to go higher into the end of the year. The next chart I had was just a chart that I pay close attention to uh, on stock charts. And what this shows is the S&P 500 in black in the upper panel and the consumer discretionary sector versus the consumer staples sector in the bottom panel in blue. And what this chart tells us Nick, in my opinion, is that people are still putting their money into risk on areas of the market like consumer discretionary. Again, those who might be new listeners, consumer discretionary stocks, obviously, as the name implies, it's not a necessity. But if consumers have income that they're able to spend, these are the type of names that they buy. Uh, consumer staples, on the other hand, are what we refer to as necessities toilet paper, toothbrush, toothpaste, all of that stuff, right? Uh, products that Procter & Gamble produces. That's what we yeah. think of when we think of consumer staples. And yeah. in a risk-on environment, you would expect consumer discretionary to outperform consumer staples because it's discretionary spending, right? And if mm -hmm. the American consumer is hanging in there and doing well, theoretically, they should be spending more money uh, with these companies that make up the consumer discretionary sector. 
And what we're seeing right now, Nick, and what you can see on the chart is that consumer discretionary stocks continue to outperform consumer staples, even in the midst of this market sell-off in the S&P 500. And if I feel like if we were in for a prolonged downturn in the markets, we would start to see consumer staples outperform consumer discretionary first because those are uh, more risk off assets. Okay. So again, just one of the inputs that we look at from week to week, consumer discretionary stocks are still very strong, continue to be strong. And until those really roll over versus consumer staples, I'm really not too concerned with this short term market sell off that we're getting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've seen a little bit of that sector rotation into some cyclicals, but mm-hmm. we've not seen that defensive rotation that you're talking about. Um, right. And and another se- a sector that's you know defensive is utilities, for example, and utilities yeah, have been example. getting absolutely crushed. crushed. Now, I think yep. that's due to bond yields where they are, because everyone's like, why would I own a utility stock that pays a three and a half percent dividend where I can buy a short term U.S. Treasury bond that's paying me five and a half percent? So I think that's a different conversation. But yeah. other risk off sectors, Nick, like healthcare and uh, real estate. Those sectors yep. are also getting crushed relative to the market, uh, kind of like consumer staples. So, um, again, if I thought this was going to be a longer term sell off, I would want to see rotation to some of the defensive sectors. And we're just not seeing that right now. Yep, absolutely. Very, very well said. Um, moving on to my second item, another uh, topic on seasonality. So uh, this chart was from the Stock Traders Almanac, and this talks about election year seasonality. So we just, Nick, talked about the election cycle over four years. Now we're just looking at what does a typical election year look at, excuse me, look like for the S&P 500. So if you're looking at this chart, the green or excuse me, the black line is all election years going back to 1949. So the average election year is up. Uh, it looks like about six and a half percent on average going back to 1949, Nick. And the thing that I want to highlight here is that when the sitting president is running again in the next election cycle, that's notated by the green line in this chart. Uh, the S&P 500 on average is up close to 12.5%, so almost double the performance of all election years when you have a sitting president that's running again. And I know we can get into the weeds about what the Biden administration has done poorly and what the Biden administration has done well and our feelings on President Biden, but just looking at the data, usually tends to be a pretty good thing for the market when the president is running again. So um, just wanted to throw that out there. This is another important reminder because we're just about a year, a little more than a year away from the next presidential election, is it's so important to separate your investment portfolio from your political feelings, right? Um, like Absolutely. I've talked about before, you know, there are a lot of people out there saying that that Trump was going to wreck the economy. There are a lot of people out there saying that Obama was going to wreck the economy. And in my opinion, I don't think either of them wrecked the economy, right? Two different political parties. Uh, markets were you know, pretty good through 
both of their terms, right? So um, just an important reminder that that political talk is going to start to heat up. You're going to start to see more people talking about the presidential election as it relates to the markets and what impact that's going to have. But um, again, a lot of it is just noise, and I would encourage people not to make emotional-based decisions based on politics coming up over this next year. Yeah, I don't have anything to add there. That's that's well said. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're uh, two independent things, like you said. Right. So the last thing I had, uh, Nick, was a chart from Ari Wald at Oppenheimer. Uh, and this was during a two-day chart summit last week, uh, which has been great. I'm kind of catching up from all the presentations that they had. Um, this was interesting to me, Nick. So it takes a look at sector outperformance rates in bull markets. So what Ari did and Oppenheimer did was they went all the way back to 1932. They looked at all of the different sectors during a bull market and said, hey, which sectors tend to outperform during bull markets the most? And I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to anybody, but technology outperforms the market 87% of the time when we're in a bull market. So this kind of narrative, I think, that's been in the market that technology has only been strong for the past decade or the past two decades, that doesn't carry much weight to me when I look at this chart. You know, going back to, you know, the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s, technology was a consistent outperformer even way back then, almost 100 years ago, right? So I think this clearly shows that, you know, when times are good, tech is going to do really well on average, right? And uh, I thought some of these other outperformance rates were interesting, Nick. Financials and bull markets only outperform 57% of the time. Uh, and then consumer discretionary coming in second place outperforms almost 75% of the time. So when we're talking to clients and we're talking on this podcast about being overweight technology, consumer discretionary and industrials during bull markets, this is the data that backs that up. We want to have uh, allocations to these risk on area of the markets. And for example, Nick, if we're in a bull market, why would we want to have really any utility exposure when utilities outperform in bull markets only 17% of the time? So these are the things that we think through when we're making investment decisions for our clients. Um, and again, I think it's sometimes a thing that gets passed over by a lot of people that they think that we should just have you know equal exposure to all the sectors. Um, but I think this piece of research uh, states pretty cre clearly, you know, which sectors do well during good times and, and bad times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it doesn't, the research doesn't surprise me too much, just thinking about market cycles and what we've kind of talked about with bull markets and bear markets, what we expect. You'd expect utilities to be really, uh, have a low percentage. Healthcare is a little high for what I was was expecting. Um, but it still makes sense, right? Staples is lower. Expect that. Uh, materials is lower. I, I definitely expect that. That's another uh, that can be kind of uh, roped into a defensive uh, move. Lots of higher dividend names in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and energy, some of the cyclical trades in there are kind of that's where you're like middling, uh, you know, like uh, energy. Um, industrials is a little better, but 
financials is you know kind of in, in the middle ground which makes sense because they can they can be a little more cyclical at times so right. um yeah it all it all makes makes sense makes uh makes perfect sense to me well i know that you want to talk about sectors and subsectors next so i'll hand this over to yeah you. yeah we're, we're really themed today uh and and listeners we did not plan that that's just how it happened but uh, uh i i have uh a couple charts here and I wanted to talk about market sectors and subsectors and um, just throw up some cautions about generalizations that that we talk about and and really just give some uh, extra education to listeners. I'm sure a lot of listeners will understand this and and perhaps know it and i'm I'm sorry if uh, if I'm repeating repeating things that you're already aware of. Um, but hopefully someone finds it helpful. Um, so I have three charts here. It's a sector reversion chart uh, showing the first half of the year and then what we saw in Q, Q3, uh, so price performance. This pricing data comes from Y charts. Um, and, and your blue bars are your first half, your gray bars are your Q3. And this first, this first chart shows your, your sector performance. Uh, and you can see the reversion there. You can see energy uh, getting a bid in, in Q3. Um, and you can kind of see where where the reversion lies. Um, what we were talking about earlier with with technology, communication services, um, consumer discretionary. In this chart, it's called consumer cyclical. For for whatever reason, all these different research pieces love to change the name of that sector. You've got yeah, consumer cyclical, a, consumer a good, discretionary, consumer durable. I mean, there there's they're all, all one in the same. Yeah, it's it's it, a little annoying that they it, have so many yeah. different names. Why charts calls it consumer cyclical, but think of it as consumer discretionary. So what what uh, what you were talking about earlier, Mark, uh, with not seeing that weakness as much um, as one would expect going into a to a bear market, you can kind of see that in this chart as well, where you know utilities down year to date continue to ride down Q3, um, and, and you see that with with the opposite with tech and con consumer discretionary. But what I really wanted to talk about today is uh, the, the idea that not all subsectors are or industries are created equal. And I wanted to, to look at this first chart and then take a quick like zoom in on two examples um, to, to kind of explain that to listeners. Um, you know, constantly the market and the, and the media, we're, we're talking about, you know, tech is flying or energy is doing really great. Um, and, and I just want to caution listeners, because um, I've talked to clients, uh, about really understanding what you're invested in and, and understanding that sometimes just saying tech is flying, there's more to the story than that. There's always more to the story. You can peel the, peel the, the onion back one, one more layer uh, at, at a minimum. You can continue to go through. So let's take a look at the technology, for example. Uh, these are the subsectors or the industry levels of, of the tech uh, space. And same chart, uh, you can see the performance first half, and you can see uh, the the uh, reversion in in Q3. And you can see where where most of the leadership is in the in the sector. Um, and this is what what I'm talking about of you know, not all sectors are or subsectors are created equal. When you peel peel the layer back, what was really driving the pricing and in, in the sector, you can see most of it coming from three subsectors. So when someone says, oh, you need to go out and buy some tech, you could have bought IBM and you would uh, you would be in that that bottom category down there up, you know, 1.7% to date. 
right, mm -hmm. in that subsector. Uh, look at, looking at the next example, in energy. Energy is another one, real estate, basic materials. I mean, you can go through this for all the sectors. I picked these two um, primarily because energy outperformed in Q3 and tech outperformed in the first half of the year. So I thought that'd be timely for listeners. But energy is another one where these subsectors are drastically different uh, when, when you really look into it. And, okay, energy was up in, in Q3, but what was leading that? Coal, surprisingly, was leading that, right? Yeah, EMPs, that's uh, exploration and production. Then you have refining, integrated, drilling, equipment services, um, and then and then midstream. Uh, but going back to the the thesis that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to put out here to the listeners is you know, your, your underlying investments within a sector can be drastically different. So midstream, for example, is a very high dividend paying. You, you, you tend not to see a lot of volatility. Well, I shouldn't say that. You tend not to see um, as much volatility per uh, movement of oil uh, metric of oil. So if oil is up 1%, um, you're going to see your EMPs and your drillers and your equipment and services stocks move higher than you would with your midstream names. Um, and, and EMPs on the other side of that spectrum where EMPs are riskier companies, they have uh, higher betas. So as oil goes up 5%, you would expect those companies to to increase more than other names in the energy space. It's kind of like a risk spectrum within the sector, right? Yeah, and, then, and, and just to, for, for people to understand kind of beta, Nick, when we talk about, you know, beta, a higher beta name means that the name is pretty much, you know, simplistically just more volatile than the sector itself or the S&P 500 is usually what what it's yeah. compared to. So whenever someone mentions low beta, they're usually talking about a, a lower volatility stock, um, maybe like a Pepsi or McDonald's or, you know, Procter yeah. & Gamble based on history, whereas a higher beta, beta stock or a higher volatile stock um, could be a name like a Tesla, for example, that most Absolutely. people could sympathize with. So yeah, the way to think about that would be, okay, the, the S&P goes up a percent a name with a higher beta is going to go up a higher percent than the S&P. It's going to move more. So, you know, obviously the direction, it's not guaranteed it's going to go up just because the S&P goes up. But uh, a lower beta stock, let's say they're both moving up in the same direction, the S&P will go up a percent. Maybe it only goes up 0.5. That's a lower beta. So mm -hmm. that, that's a, a good way to think about it. But um, I just wanted to, to toss this out to, to listeners and just show them something a little different. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add on on this. No, I think thought. it's good. I mean, obviously, in the tech sector, uh, through the first half of the year, uh, semiconductors and software and consumer electronics dominated, um, but information technology services were, you know, pretty much flat. Right. So it's just yeah. interesting to see, you know, when we say technology is doing really well. Yeah, like most of technology is doing really well, but there are certain areas that are that are not doing well, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's pockets of weakness and pockets of strength in every subsector, every quarter, every month. Um, even you know, I'm sure we could find a utility that is you know doing. Oh yeah, probably, I not, could, probably not great, but <laughs> yeah, and there's some REITs that are probably doing well, but it just increases your probability of success when you are in sectors and in industries that are doing well. The stocks within those sectors have a higher chance 
of a better return just because the overall sector and the overall yeah. industry is strong. I think people have done research on this. I think, don't quote me on this, but it was something like, you know, 50, 40 or 50% of a stock's return is, you know, based on how well the industry group is doing. So, um, so that, Absolutely. that matters a lot. And that's, that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, and, and I and I studied that a lot for for years in my prior role, where you would see that it's a good company, good name, and everything's going well. The balance sheet's clean, investors like it, but it's moving lower because their industry group is moving lower, uh, and a, and a lot of that gets down to macroeconomics and and market dynamics. So that's why yeah. this this stuff is important. And just thought I'd kind of show. I, th I think we, we talk a lot about sectors. I think the media talks a lot about sectors, um, but I I don't tend to see that kind of extra layer um, as much. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, the next piece of research I have is actually also from All Star Charts. Uh, that's two, two this week. Big fan. Shout out, shout out JC Peretz. Uh, this is a tweet. He says the NASDAQ uh, just closed yesterday at the highest level in history relative to the much broader Russell 3000. Uh, index the Russell 3000 is 3000 tickers that range from really large you know the biggest names in the market all the way to little tiny micro cap names that uh, you've never heard of so it's a it's a very big broad ind uh, indice and then there there's the chart there and you can see it's a, a relative a relative chart of the QQQ and the IWV which is the Russell 3000 ETF um and you can see it's you know, we've, we've talked about it a couple times uh, it's still holding up uh, and and a bear market you wouldn't expect this to be holding up uh, or or you know in the in the months and the quarters preceding a bear market i should say you wouldn't expect this to hold up um yeah and you know qqq is heavy uh inside of tech and it just goes to show you that um, you know, a lot of these big technology names are what is driving a lot of the performance this year, especially in market cap weighted industries. Um, and I think this is this is a positive for the market. I know there are people that are concerned with it's just a couple names doing really well this year. And it's like, OK, that's fine. But like we just talked about, tech is the leader when we're in good times um, and until tech starts to roll over. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's going to be a, a huge problem for the markets. Yep, absolutely agree. The last piece I have is a just a, a quick quote from Peter Lynch. And I picked this up uh, from a tweet uh, from Investment Wisdom. And the quote is uh, the following. People who succeed in the stock market also accept periodic losses, setbacks and unexpected occurrences. Calamitous drops do not scare them out of the game. Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch is a, a very famous, successful um, mutual fund manager. I believe it's Fidelity, right? Mm -hmm. Fidelity, yes, a mutual fund, a mutual fund manager. Uh, we're talking decades of of very strong performance. Uh, mm -hmm. Very fundamental stock picker. Um, a lot of yeah, I think there's books out there you could you could read about them. Um, but I think it's a it's a good quote. It, it makes sense. There's uh, being in the market sometimes is not easy. There's there's ups and downs. There's lots of uncertainty, and it's just one of those things that you you work with your advisor. You set up your risk tolerance. Uh, you, you try to understand, you know, how much are you willing to 
deal with the volatility and and then you accept it from there and and you know trust that over over your lifetime the the market is is going to help you achieve achieve your goals which historically it does right it's not it's not fun <laughs> going through those those times but it that that is the market that it will always be that way um if it was yeah. easy if it's, it feels easy everyone would do it right right exactly so, so it's just yeah it's a good good couple of lines there by by peter that you know pretty much the the name of the game is just focusing on on the long term and kind of just cut out all the the weekly monthly noise right yeah yeah don't don't focus so much on on you know the past i mean we talk all the time about it because we're in the industry it's our job to do that so we're very focused in the short term as well as the long term but I think for for the average uh, retiree or the average investor who's who's watching CNBC every day or MSNBC or Fox News or or whatever, however you consume your news, I think it's important to think about this quote and and always just you know take a deep breath, take a deep breath. You know, um, there's there's going to be ups and downs, and that's just how how the market is. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, Nick, just really quick for our financial planning topic of the week, just a couple of reminders for people. Um, the extended tax filing deadline is on October 16th. So not this upcoming Monday, but the following Monday. Uh, so if you are someone who has extended your taxes, uh, that fi filing deadline is coming up soon. Uh, another reminder, we are getting closer to the end of the year. So if you have not contributed to your IRA, um, you can do that before year end. Obviously, you have until your tax filing deadline, which is usually in the middle of April, to make prior year contributions for your IRA. But if you want to just get that done before the end of the year, it is a good time to do so. Uh, also, just looking like we've talked about, Nick, with the seasonality and performance of market into Q4, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to put some money to work right now. Uh, last thing uh, in this realm, Nick, is charitable contributions. So uh, I know a lot of times people are uh, charitably inclined and they tend to do this towards the end of the year when they know what their tax liability is going to be. Um, so if that means opening a donor advised fund or uh, making a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA, um, we want to make sure that we have enough time to get that stuff done before the end of the year and we're not cramming it into the, the last week of December because once holidays come around, time goes really quick and there's going to be certain days where offices are closed and your advisor might not be working. Um, so if you are charitably, charitably inclined, I would encourage you to reach out to your advisor uh, to kind of get that conversation started. Um, before we leave it there and talk about a sponsor, Nick, anything else that you wanted to mention while we are on the call today? No, lots of lots of sector and subsector and rotation talk for everyone. So hopefully, hopefully listeners enjoyed it. And thanks for having me as always. Yeah, and uh, and before we sign off, Nick, um, just wanted to let people know that if they are interested in starting their own podcast, you can get your first month of Blueberry podcasting hosting free with the promo code Jessup Wealth, all lowercase. 
use the hosting estimator on their site to determine the best plan for you. And don't forget that's Jessup Wealth for your first month free. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to episode 222, or excuse me, 221 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Nick, thanks for joining again, and we will be back with you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.